In a world of art and entertainment, we often seek deeper meaning and overanalyze the presentation. Director Paul Verhoeven often uses B-movie genre as a vehicle for complex human emotions, social satire, and shocking sex and violence. Is this genius subtext for the artist's intent, or our own imagination looking for cosmic connection where none were intended? We call, we this, call dilemma this dilemma the Verhoeven effect. Listen to the Verhoeven Effect podcast. This is Conlon. This is Nathan. Uh, we're watching network television because me and Nathan don't watch network television. We are watching The Blacklist, season one, which aired in 2013. We're watching the second season of Mentalist, which started airing in 2009. And we're watching the second season of Miami Vice, which started airing in 1985. And as always, we start with The Blacklist. We have season one, episode 14. Madeline Pratt, number 73. Original air date, February 24th, 2014, NBC Monday. Which I think is kind of weird because like, the last episode was in January. So this is like they had like a month off for some reason, but I don't know. I didn't, I didn't yeah. find one. I, I didn't look deeply, but could have just been like a weird thing of maybe the playoffs or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it could have been like baseball or football or basketball or soccer. Who knows? Liz helps Tom adjust to the impending adoption. Red reveals a woman from his past as a target. Red convinces Liz to pull off a heist at the Syrian embassy. Showrunner John Bokenkamp, written by Jim Campolongo and directed by Michael Zinberg. Starts out, we're in Turkey. Yeah. Some bank in Turkey. <laughs> some ladies getting a safe deposit box, uh, claiming to be the the late late reddington's wife yeah so she cons somebody saying that she's red's wife and he's dead and so she has the key somehow and then she takes something out of the box and leaves but when she leaves even though she like got all this stuff like officially there's alarms going on yeah it was kind of weird i didn't understand like did she steal something else we're not aware (laughs) yeah she like walks out and puts like a like a scarf over her head and she just blends in with the crowd but she's like smiling every time they see her face in the camera she's just smiling like haha i got away <laughs> yeah because she like puts a like some of those uh that kind of like middle east headdress that the women have like her clothes yeah. converted into that so she looked like everyone else and the only way you could tell her apart was she was the only one smiling yeah so it was like but yeah. like but her back was to the like two guards who were just kind of going out and poking their heads around it's like something's wrong <laughs> And then, and then we cut to Red is getting acupuncture. <laughs> yeah. Red's doing something yeah. appropriately weird. Yeah, yeah. He's got to be quirky. And then he gets a note to me at the bar with, with this lady, who is the, you know, the aforementioned, the, the titular Madeline Pratt. Yeah. <laughs> Which I don't know. Sometimes you just you just put yourself in a corner with the naming scheme because it seems obvious that she's not, not on the blacklist. <laughs> But they give her a name and a number as if she was. Yeah. Yeah, because she's not like a murderer or something. She is basically like the like Ocean's Eleven, like long con, big stakes kind of thief. Well, she's also like an information broker. Yeah. Like on this, like that's her like more official capacity and then just seems to do con jobs for fun. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like one of the like the amoral people that are always in Reddington's orbit. 
Yeah, yeah. Of like, of course I'm going to steal from you. That's why we're friends. You know, it's those kind of people that. <laughs> and they, then we cut to like Tom and Liz having some weird adversarial relationship now. <laughs> so... Yeah, because Liz doesn't think it's a good idea for her to have a kid when she works like a hundred hours a week and increasingly violent dangerous and scary situations and he's still kind of like come on give it a chance take a few <laughs> weeks off work it's like oh tom you're just so <laughs> out of your mind like who, who do you know what this woman does for a living it's not like she had a bad week or something like this has been <laughs> ongoing for two years i mean you were basically had a, your internal organs punctured in your living room because of her work it's like yeah, let's bring a kid into this it's, it's be amazing <laughs> Let's have a kid be a hostage. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it seems like this guy's supposed to be like this earnest like school teacher or not. You know, everyone's a, yeah, or yeah. something else maybe in this. And it's like, yeah, he seems yeah, this incredibly point, naive. Weird, yeah. Yeah, if at this point if he's not some super spy, then he's just a total asshole who like can't conform to reality or the reality that's presented in the blacklist. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, like, that's it's it, that's kind of odd. I noticed that in this, and I know they have to have that story, and I know that yeah, like yeah. that, but it's like at this point, dude, I would have been just out of there a long time ago. It's like I love you, but until you quit your job, I'm we're done. I can't live. <laughs> I can't wonder like is that knock in the night? Is some other Eastern European come to you know stab me with knitting needles through the eyes or something? Like I'm not sitting around this house <laughs> waiting for this to happen. Oh yeah, and, and the weird memory hole box under our floors where there's money and my name and 50 different passports it's like yeah i don't think this is the relationship for me you know unless he is of course yeah you know but we don't know because that never that's hinted around at and then never develops so it's like yeah. okay and i'm sure it will but got okay, red and madeline like me at a bar don't they but yeah I forget what they talk about the windsor lounge though they talk about yeah. the um but does that happen before we get to the tom and liz scene or is that yeah happen it happens after? before oh okay yeah, they, she's they, saying she wants the effigy of Atagoras at the Syrian <laughs> embassy. And it's like, oh, is this an art thing? And then we go to the Tom and Liz thing. And then, like, Red knows, of course, what's inside that, supposedly. And Yeah, yeah, yeah after the, the Tom and Liz scene, we have Liz meets with Red at some hedge fund manager's house who's, like, in trouble with the SEC. So he's just abroad now. So he, until legal things clear up and he doesn't so he doesn't have to go to jail so he just lives the life abroad <laughs> yeah which is probably actually like the most realistic thing in this show is like yeah those <laughs> people are real I mean, yeah that happens all the time it's going on right now <laughs> i remember that's what happened with uh how was it like his name is like cj i think it's like cj malia or something like that that's the guy who ran the the force india oh uh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah yeah he was running like just a straight Ponzi scheme, though. I, I think is what he was doing. Yeah, he's doing something. He did open like a legitimate airline, but like, but there's it wasn't making the money. <laughs> yeah, he was well. He was getting people to buy into it, and like, we're gonna build this up, and this is gonna be like, you know, the biggest airline in that part of the world since Air Emirates or something. And yeah, they're just taking all the money out. And nothing was improving, so <laughs> it was a Ponzi scheme. But it was like, oh no, there's a real thing there. I forget the details, but yeah. This stuff's good. Anyway, yeah, that, he, that part of it's ran, real. He ran away from England to avoid prosecution in India for like over a year, and eventually, like, eventually they they, they like deported him or arrested him and deported him. Yeah, uh, 
for other crimes. They're like, it's okay if you steal money from the Indian people and investors, but like <laughs> once it hits a home here, like we can't let you do that. Yeah, once once uh, this gets in the news too much, we gotta start acting like a government. Oh, I mean that was always going on. He was like he was going to F one races and like like hanging out and like uh what's going on at home? He's like, Oh nothing. <laughs> I don't know, I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> the house could be on fire i'm not you know there's all kinds of stories you know rumors innuendo uh, never mind there's yeah. like a whole team of prosecutors like oh we got them on this no. this this and this but yeah that's one i'm kind of i'm more familiar with but i, be- I believe i think there's a netflix show called greed mm-hmm. um and one of the episodes are about him so or it's like a docu series I, I think that's where i got my information about yeah, his airline Ponzi scheme thing, but yeah, yeah. Because I didn't it. know, enough, but I didn't know because like I was only getting secondhand through the F one stuff. So and I, that was a long time ago. So I was like only kind of vaguely recall it. So I don't. I only got it like secondhand. I didn't know, but that was just fun. Anyways, yeah, that just happens all the time. Just people yeah. like, oops, the government's on me. Better leave town. <laughs> time to leave the leave. country and live an equally yeah. luxurious lifestyle. Uh huh. Almost, you know, n- maybe not in the first world because there is a lot of extradition. But you know, you don't go to Canada and get away with it. But if you go to like kind of off the beat places, yeah, yeah. Is, you know, it's the reason you buy houses all over the world. <laughs> Did you hear about that guy? Uh, speaking of like the Russian oligarch that's right next to Putin, he owned like seventy eight homes. <laughs> seventy eight, like not. 10 or 12 or it was like 78 it's like wow and they had pictures of them. all of them were nice like none of those houses look like mine there's not no they were all i mean they weren't all the taj mahal but they were like oh and that's what you do that's what that that's the i mean that's the thing in manhattan like they have all those you know 20 million dollar loft apartments there and stuff no yeah. one lives in those it's just a way to like hide money in the U.S. by saying you own one of those. It's like, yeah, this is this is how the, like the generals that commit war crimes and stuff <laughs> they they come to America and and it's like, yeah, because they don't put all their money in the bank where it can be seized. They'll just buy an apartment through some shell company and it's worth twenty five million dollars and nobody lives there. That same thing. I mean, they're doing that in England in the nineties and in oh, well, uh, what's that? Just- in New York, they just finished the the thinnest skyscraper in the yeah. world. <laughs> the uh, penthouse cost sixty million dollars, or at least that's what they're putting it up sale for. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. And also, they bought the the air rights over their neighbors, so nobody can ever build up past them. Oh, nice! I didn't know that was a thing. Nice. <laughs> All right. Well, how are we going to have you know, Mega City One? <laughs> I guess I got to spend more money to get those air rights back. Yeah. And then there was another guy, the, 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 like the yacht that the German sees that was worth $600 million. And when they showed pictures of it, it, it it's like in scale to the people that were on it. It's like, I guess I can see that, but that's, (laughs) that's, that's more than half a billion dollars for a boat. A really big one, but it's like, wow. Just your own personal carnival cruise line. (laughs) But I guess it worked. I mean, there, there's so much of that stuff they're seizing, and you're seeing pictures of it. And it's like, oh, this is amazing. This is so wild. This is the Russians. And it's like, well, there's Americans that are operating in the open that have stuff like that, too. But they're not, like, part of some scam to steal all the riches out of Russia. But, yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they are, but it's in a, an American <laughs> version of it. 
It's like, oh yeah, that this this stuff is going on everywhere. But remember, you can't have health care. So anyway, uh, back to the blacklist. So Madeline Pratt is like a thief that Red begrudgingly respects. They have some history. They talk about Florentine. It's like, why did you abandon me in Florentine? But we don't get to that just yet. But uh, Madeline is getting Red in on a heist to uh, rob the uh, effigy of Astarte. We got a, we got a brief character, another character actor uh, update. We have Zach Grenier, who you might remember as like the the boss in Fight Club. Oh, okay. <laughs> that he beats himself up in front of. Okay, yeah. So that's like the guy who's like pulls out the book and explains everything here. Uh, that guy's in hundreds of things. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, we have the effigy of Astarte, which inside of it's supposed to be this thing called the the Kungar Six which is apparently a list of Soviet spies that might still be operating. <laughs> ah, the old knock list. <laughs> or it's, or even go reach even further back. It's that telephone. Remember that Charles Bronson thing where they had all the sleeper agents in America and they were like Russians. And if you called them on the phone and said words in Russian, they would activate and start sabotaging the country <laughs> or it's the Americans. That was the more modern version. It's been a, a fiction for a while. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an old idea. And it's coming back. Dust off all that old Soviet stuff, because now the <laughs> Russians are going to be the bad guys in every movie from now until the <laughs> nuclear war starts. Yeah, you don't. You don't even get new props because they haven't built anything. No, in the it's, years. it's the same stuff. <laughs> uh, Red is back at the post office, and Cooper is asking where Diane is. And like right before the scene is happening, I was like, shouldn't there be like way more concern with like this would be more of a hubbub about where Diane is, but. Apparently she's just missing, so they didn't just leave the body there. Like, Mister uh, Kaplan. Yeah, Mister Kaplan disappeared the body, and then Cooper's just like asking, like, "Did you kill her?" He's just asking straight up questions, and then Red just evades every conversation about it. Yeah, he doesn't uh, lie, but he doesn't tell the truth. Yeah, he just no. Where is she? Have you seen her? <laughs> what? She's missing. The beaches in South Mexico. <laughs> yeah, just something like that. The sand is, it's so fine. It's like powder, you know? And it's like, <laughs> did you have some, did you murder some, you know, the deputy attorney general of the United States? Nah. Have you ever had? Texas wine is a very underrated wine. Yeah. Go to Corpus Christi and look for, you know. And you find out that the effigy is in the Syrian embassy for, you know, I guess because it'd be exciting. Yeah, why not? Red says, this is a thief and gets and gets her put on the job. And there's like this little moment where like Cooper and like, and wrestler, it's like, there's no, you have no criminal record, like, but your dad's criminal record is missing. Like, <laughs> like, was your dad a criminal mastermind and you were taught all those things too? And then also Liz doesn't say anything about that either. Yeah, so. she's kind of quiet, but she starts doing like, uh, she can like pick pockets and you know do passes and doing card tricks and it's like oh okay so we get a little bit more of like the Liz mystery. Hey, did you go to the, the same school that uh, you know Patrick did? Uh, <laughs> the mentalist? Like, are you classmates? Well, they have like Madeline is interviewing Liz basically, and Liz tells stories of con jobs that I don't know if they're true or not. <laughs> yeah, she seems uh, earnest. Well, one of well, like one of like Red just says like. Tell her about Omaha, and then she like makes has up to make story. up a story. Yeah, but then she says later on, "How did you know about Omaha?" But then she's then we're like, "Oh, oh, is that true? Were you seducing a guy when you were like, I don't know, 10? Um, But then she's like, "Oh, I made up that part." 
but like the Omaha thing was true. <laughs> yeah, oh, I just thought her and Red were just free balling it in front of this woman just to like, yeah, how quick are you on your feet? Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought it is, but like some of it is true. Yeah, I thought that was the a weird enti- detail. The most later. enticing parts are false, and then the but some of the framework is true. Like Liz walks out like she's going to leave the job. It's like, if you want, hey, if I don't need this job. If you think if you want to rethink this, you can call me. And then she like puts her own phone on like the table, and she's like, "How'd you steal my phone?" Like, I guess we're gonna hire. It's a fun scene. Yeah, but yeah, it's the first time you know that like Liz could just like pickpocket people. <laughs> she's an artful dodger. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wonder if they're gonna like forward like we're gonna incorporate this and everything just to have like a cool like skill set for. Uh, Liz. <laughs> yeah, Liz has the skill sets of a like a London street urgent from Mary Poppins. <laughs> all of a sudden, like, how huh, we never like, noticed huh? this before. But so combine that with an FBI agent. Does that what interesting things can you do with that? Yeah. And then yeah, then they go through the heist plans, but they're like intercutting with like the well, not the actual heist, but just kind of the first phase of it where they're trying to get this ID from this guy, which is a fun scene because then you have like the FBI <laughs> trying to pickpocket a guy from the syrian embassy <laughs> well she has to steal his id then they have to clone it and then they have to give it back to him all in the time he walks from the syrian embassy up to the roach coach to get a cup of coffee and back yeah so there's pressure on the scene they kind of make it interesting but it's also this guy's like why did everyone i meet today either spill coffee on me or press check me it's like <laughs> this guy has very poor like skills to not realize like all these people are crashing into me well, also, like, his ID is, like, right out in the open. You can get it pretty easily. And it's yeah, it's even, hanging like, on his coat. Back. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, like, it's just a little clip on his coat. Yeah, It's not even around his neck where you could probably, like, be harder to get it. And then we, like, get to the end. Of, it's It keeps intercutting, but we have, like, Liz getting ready for this ball where they're going to do the heist at the Syrian embassy. And she puts on this red dress, and then Tom is there. And he's like enticed by the red dress, but he has this funny line. He's like, "Oh, you're not, but you're doing this for work, right?" And she's like, "Yeah." It's like, it's like, do you have a partner? Because I have some pretty good fake IDs. Yeah, yeah. He does like acknowledge <laughs> that we should get away from it all. I do like the that that he mentions the the fake passports and stuff. But yeah, and then but then Liz and Red uh, break into the or uh, so like but like Madeline goes ahead. And apparently this other just off the hand mentioned some guy who's like working with Madeline. Yeah. And then uh and then Red is going to the uh the ball with Liz to give her back up. Yeah. It's like they're on they're on technically foreign soil, so this is gonna be they can't just like <laughs> they can't just officially do this, but so Liz is on her own. But and Red they're in the Syrian embassy. And remember, yeah. if you move the letters around in Syria, it spells Satan, you know, so it's <laughs> just generic bad guys with very poor embassy security or <laughs> in this episode. And then Cooper has a private meeting with Mira about Diane. He wants a secret murder investigation. Yeah. Because <laughs> right now she's just missing. He's like, no, she's dead. <laughs> like investigated like a murder. They, they go to the ball and they're like dancing. And then red helps like liz like dance her way so she can get to the the safe where they think the effigy is yes and then i believe like red starts dancing with florence and then she's like talking about or starts dancing with madeline talking about florence and yeah she feels like she was abandoned by red and then liz opens up the vault and it's empty and but then the you know the, the alarms go off and here red, red just quickly grabs a gun shoots it in the air and like leaves it in, like a wine cooler. yeah he punches a guy in the throat <laughs> fires a gun into the air to cause confusion 
and fear and then just starts walking down to uh, where Liz is. And... But yeah, everyone scatters. Madeline gets put in the the safe room and that's where the effigy is and that's where she uses the opportunity to take it. And then like Liz is tied up and Red does like a gay character to distract the guard. Yeah, it was very strange. <laughs> Because he was basically like this flamboyantly homosexual man who was like Liz's like you know body man essentially like she handles all her wardrobe and makeup and everything and just does this really strange like gay man impersonation and I thought I don't know maybe the because there was like this real serious looking Syrian guy there with a machine gun and maybe I thought like and because you know the, it's like homosexuality is all out in those cultures over there and I thought oh maybe he was trying to distract him that way. But it yeah. just it turned it came, it just played out kind of weird. Yeah, it was like I didn't understand well, well, the I, reason they, for it. Usually, everything Red does has a reason. Well, they kind of they they give a reason for it to somewhat where she goes like, "What was that?" And he's like, "I don't know." So I was doing I was in the moment. Uh, yeah, that's right. They did do that, but it's like. Uh-huh. And so yeah, somehow they all get out of there with like nobody being on camera or being held in the investigation. Yeah, and these people he punched like they never get up. They just. They're just out for like an hour or something. Yeah. Like, huh, I love those punches. Then uh, Liz and Wrestler are in the elevator and she's on the phone with Tom and Tom suggests that they should take a break. Liz hangs up and they like say like, she says she hates this job. Yeah. <laughs> and Wrestler funnily says like, you want me to break his legs or something? <laughs> so having like Wrestler and Liz kind of be a bit more like personal towards each other. <laughs> yeah. But then Wrestler and Liz interview a guy who's like related to the effigy somehow. Like, Apparently, like, uh, this was, like, stolen from, like, some embassy somewhere else, like, in South America or something, like, in 83 or something. This guy was a kid, and his dad gave the effigy to him to hold, and then, like, there was a, a secret American raid on there, and they took the effigy from him. And then from some that there, it ended up in, like, the black market. <laughs> and at some point, they, they reveal that Kungar 6 isn't people, it's, like secret suitcase nukes laid all about america <laughs> yeah yeah this is old cold war stuff again <laughs> yeah it's waiting to be used now just, just as an aside because i read a lot of this stuff the only thing i've ever heard about suitcase nukes and of course everyone will deny that like oh well, no we made a few and they didn't work or whatever but i guess the reality i don't know if you remember at the end uh like in the mid 90s there was a lot of fear that a bunch of those came up missing after the Soviet Union fell and they were being sold to terrorists or whatever. And uh, they did kind of sh- tip their hand a little bit. is Because the smallest nuclear weapons we have are something that like a, a Navy SEAL can carry on his back. That was the smallest we ever made them. And they were to blow up bridges in Europe. The Russians supposedly did try these really small ones to put in their embassies and stuff in different countries in case for some reason they had to kill 10,000 people in a city. <laughs> Uh, but I guess they have to be reassembled and worked on all the time to keep them working. So they're like wildly inefficient and, and they don't last a long time because they're intensely complex and micro-engineered. And guess what? Radiation does not do any favors to electronics. So, um, so that yeah, they said even if people did steal those out of Russia or the, if they're not regularly maintained, they're worthless after about a year or so. Oh, yeah, even in the show, like these nukes would be like, like 50 years old. Well, that's what Red said. He was like, ah, I don't care about, I'm not interested in dusty nukes from the 60s that the Russians <laughs> made. It's like, it's not quality merchandise or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess in the real world to allay people's fears, and it could be total, you know, but 
I, I, I did hear that like, yeah, these things, we didn't develop a lot of them and the Russians really thought they had some ace in the hole and they figured out, oh, this is something you just have to mess with all the time. So each suitcase nuke requires a nuclear engineer with it at all times to keep it working, <laughs> which is a good use of resources. And then we have a scene where Madeline and Red are like arguing on the street and then they both get tased and captured by somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, like, this is more of a my mentalist brain kicking in. I'm like, it's kind of too late in this episode to be having this like third kind of thing happening. I'm like, is this a red ruse? Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I was guessing. It ends up here. Right? Yeah, we have the unit. The unit are looking for suitcase nukes. Madeline and Red are in like these prison cells. Uh, and then Red gets thrown in one, he's bloody and beaten up. And then Red starts talking about running out of gas on Christmas Eve, on that fateful night that <laughs> we keep going back to, which is why Red is the way he is. And he talks about how he walked into a house full of blood. And he says that's the reason why he wasn't in Florence, which uh, not, we're not sure how that intersects, but I, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Madeline gives up the location because she's like trying to save Red's life because he gives a sympathetic thing and then that it was a ruse and she writes something on paper and it gets handed to res but uh, or red so um but then we have the second the unit and the swat team go to some park where some russians are looking for the list yeah <laughs> just some russian mobsters though but which is like then, now we know is like oh indistinguishable from the government but yeah <laughs> i think this character is the one that was helping madeline before but it gets mentioned is like Russell has the list uh because they open up there's some she hid it in some like brick in some wall somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and then, then as they start like having to shoot out, he runs away, but then wrestler tackles him. And this is the guy who got uh, shot in the knee with a shotgun a while back. <laughs> so, but yeah, that he jumps yeah, off been... of something. And I thought that was going to play into it. Like his knee was going to give out again. Cause he jumped yeah. like 10 feet on top of a guy, <laughs> but it didn't. It just, the guy was a little, little tougher to fight than you thought. And then, yeah, yeah, that guy was really good with his elbows. He like elbowed him in the face like twice. Yeah, I mean, there's like square shots to the face. <laughs> but at least they weren't firing guns wildly into the air, you know. Yeah, yeah. He was restrained himself for once. Yeah. I mean, they did uh, they did wrestle with his own gun and fired once into the ground, but then I think that's when like the rest of the SWAT team comes up and then he just gives up. Yeah, I mean, there's a huge shootout. And then, yeah, and then Red uh, Red gets the effigy and he opens it up and it's just full of sand. Yeah. And then like and then they have a scene where like it's like Red and Cooper are talking and it's like it's like, oh she took it and then Red's like, No, I got the locations, like I'll give them to you, but he wants to trade it for the effigy. Uh and I don't believe we get the importance of the effigy. <laughs> uh well now, now it's become a red weird thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like the tea in, you know, China or the tea in Vietnam is underrated, you know, it's more of this I just want this because it's strange and <laughs> well, I thought it was going to be something because we had that when they interviewed the one guy who like got stolen from by the Americans when he was a kid. I thought he was going to give it back to that guy. Yeah, because he was involved in the original 83 somehow, the, mm -hmm. the invasion somehow. So I thought that was what was going to connect. But no, he just has it. But also like when he puts it on the shelf of the other like, you know, priceless art or whatever, Madeline had stolen the painting. He was talking about the star of the show where he said he hates it. It's infecting his mind because it's like a painting of a woman playing a piano and all they can hear is that woman playing the piano poorly. <laughs> and I guess her, yeah, it's a Vermeer painting and her face is really like, uh, it's kind of that weird art that they did back in, her face is not proportional and she's a very strange looking woman. And 
He's like, I'm just trying to imagine this ugly woman and this cacophonous <laughs> sound that she's making. And and it's like she's telling Liz, he's telling Liz, like, this is the only Vermeer in private hands. And that's when we find out, oh, yeah, it's one of these hedge fund guys that's taking a little uh, SEC vacation from the country. But so Madeline takes that painting and leaves a note that says if he wants it back, he has to meet her in Florentine. So. Yeah, and the, well, like the most important thing in this, or the, the the most interesting like side story, is when Cooper and the other FBI agent, the guy from the Washington field office. Yeah. Oh, I got, I got, I'll get there. Oh, okay. They're getting ready to leave, and wrestler and Liz are like packing up for the night, and then wrestler um, is like going to go out on a date with his girlfriend, but then like he stops, and he's basically going to like console Liz because like her life's going to crap right now, and so. Uh, so that's a bit more like they're they're getting a bit closer yeah like the first like 10 episodes used to have like wrestler was just like very combative and, and accusatory of everything liz did yeah because he's like why are you on this like this is my job like who are you she's like i don't want to be here either it's because, <laughs> yeah. of, it's because of red and then tom goes to that teacher's conference in orlando and he bumps into jolene so it's like uh oh they're gonna have an affair and then we have Special Agent Walter Gar Martin <laughs> from the DC Bureau comes in to talk to Cooper. Yeah. And he tells him he needs to stop the investigation on Diane Fowler. And he takes all his case files. Yeah. And basically says, you know, this comes from like the top, meaning yeah. the president or the head of the FBI or both. Yeah. And so I'm assuming this guy's working for the group that, that Hawkeye Pierce is running. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know that, but I'm assuming it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. This Either is... that or it's like Red pulling some pretty big strings. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get to see if, like, Cooper follows up on this. Like, no, we're not stopping it. I don't know. Well, the interesting thing is, like, he gives Mira the job, and she's like, well, I have the evidence. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I can, yeah, figure this out, but I can't really tell you because Red yeah, has corrupted but... me by making me steal stuff from you. Yeah, it was an interesting episode. I think it's actually one of the lowest rated ones of the season, but I thought it was, it was fine. It didn't, it was fun. It didn't necessarily advance like the total plot line, but you had some interesting. Well, well, it wasn't just so dark and brooding either. Was... <laughs> yeah, you had a little fun. It was a heist. Yeah. Yeah, it was like Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. yeah. With the FBI. <laughs> so we have The Mentalist, season two, episode 14, Blood In, Blood Out. Original air date, February 11th, 2010, CBS Thursday. When a member of Cho's former gang, the Avon Park Playboys, is found murdered, Patrick Jennings insists on helping Cho with his off-the-books investigation. Showrunner Bruno Heller, written by Ken Woodruff, directed by John Polstead. Yeah, so this is a fun episode because we actually get, like, backstory on Cho. Yeah, this is a Cho-centric episode, which is, like, I, I one of my favorite characters in this because he's just always the straight guy. But he's yeah. also not the straight guy to the point that he's dumb. He's like, yeah, that's... He's just kind of a very rational person. Yeah, well, well, you can see why why he is basically you know a Vulcan in the show is because like if he has any kind of feelings and that's like the way he can be hurt and like here's the episodes like oh yeah when Cho has feelings things go wrong. <laughs> well, it's because I always because I cause like I said I never do any research on this ahead because I don't want to ruin the show. I never knew if the Cho it was in a street gang thing was real. Yeah, or if yeah. it was a serious gang, because I always, I always especially assume like Korean characters, like, oh yeah, those guys are like getting doctorate degrees in something, or 
or they're just like they were always the best students in school. I never assumed them of like, oh yeah, they're in a street gang in America selling drugs and. So I always thought like this, uh, the, the, this gang he was in was was like kind of a, was a, a kid thing or maybe a little useful rebellion. But no, not in this episode. You find out <laughs> it was, they were bad people. Well, you start. We have Jane is flipping a coin and it's always head, and he cons Rigsby out of twenty bucks. And this is like the, <laughs> this is like a D plot for Rigsby to figure out the coin trick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the most important thing. In, in Rigsby's life. And then Cho has a, a friend show up when he's not there, and it's, like, the, the lady he's dating. And so, like, they, they kind of... Who no one on the, the team no, recognizes. No. Like, oh, no. you're dating Cho. I mean, I think they vaguely knew about her, but it's like, yeah, this is how compartmentalized yeah. this guy is. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're all, they also seem interested to, like, interrogate her. It's like, who's Cho? Like, we've known him for years. We have no idea. <laughs> And then, and then, like uh, Cho shows up, like they're about to go on a date, and, but then he get, uh, Cho gets a call, and it's from the Oakland police. And there's a there's a the victim on his phone has like three calls to Cho. Yeah. And and then so Cho abandons the the date to go identify the body at the at the scene, because uh, it's it's in Oakland, so it's well, we figure it's what's like an hour and a half or hour drive from Sacramento. I think it's an hour. Yeah. Well, if there's no human beings there, if it's the <laughs> population of California, it's a six-hour drive. Then never Cho been there, never of... will. So it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, there's so many podcasts I listen to that are based out of there. I like have a lot of incidental knowledge about San Francisco and Oakland. Yeah, but I can't remember like because I know like the Bay Bridge is the one between uh, San Francisco and Oakland. It's actually like the lot more transited than the the Golden Gate Bridge. Right. Uh, but I can't remember like where they are. Like I think golden gates on the north side and the bay one is on the south side so but like because the the uh golden gate bridge is so iconic like people just uh like assume that that's like that's everything going on in san francisco is like through there but it's like no it's like that goes to northern california where like just people are go there to not pay <laughs> yeah. the prices of san francisco it's just purely a suburb like that's that the yeah the, that's the that's the suburb chokehold is the Golden Gate Bridge, <laughs> but it's not as essential to San Francisco as you might think it is. That's all I'm saying. It just looks cool. Yeah. And the, all right, so yeah, the victim is David Song. Uh, he was one of the Avon Park Playboys, Cho's old gang. So that yeah, that's real. <laughs> that's confirmed. Because uh, Cho also says he used to be in a gang. Yeah, that um, comes up a lot in the other yeah. episode. Oh yeah, and Jane insists on going with Cho. It's like you're not stopping me. You know. I'm, I've got to go see what Cho's life oh, yeah, the, is about. The last, yeah, the last moment of the scene is like, no, I got to do this alone. And then you cut to them pulling up, and he's in the car too. So Jane insisted on it. So he was picking up on some because, like, because Cho doesn't reveal things. Jane was just using his his intuitive sense of emotions to like, no, I know what's going on with you, Cho, even though he won't actually say it out loud. Jane using his psychopath skills again to <laughs> worm the truth um, out of people. Yeah, so basically, he just identifies the body and just coldly says, "Like, yep, that's him." Like, and like, all right, we done here, and then he leaves. <laughs> and then Jane is talking about, "Like, did you know him? Were you close?" And he's like, "We are best friends. He was like a brother to me." He just says that coldly. <laughs> yeah. As they just leave the scene of his dead body. <laughs> yeah, where he's been like shot like twelve times or something. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we got a commercial. We cut back, and then like Rigsby's looking at the coin again. And then Cho just says something like, oh, you're not getting enough sex from Zamp Van Pelt, but you have to yeah. investigate this. 
They're like, hey, be cool about that. We're, like, We're not talking about it, remember? So, oh, okay. Yeah. And then, yeah, then the David's uh, grandma talks to Cho. It's also, we find out like Cho joined the army, which I think maybe came up before. I'm not yeah, sure. I've, yeah, I've heard that. Became, yeah. Because uh, Cho never lies, but he never, it like adds anything. Yeah. yeah it's like, yeah. yes, that is a fact. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but there's no like, well, what was that like? It's uh, just any other day. Just, you know. <laughs> But yeah, she she was saying that David was was trying to get out of the gang, and uh, Cho wasn't convinced of that. He says like I, she she's like he won't lie to me. He's like I heard him lie to you all the time. Yeah, <laughs> we used to be in the gang. Yeah, because she's like this just like sad Korean grandmother, and yeah. Cho's like yeah, sorry to break it to you, but not a good guy. <laughs> but Jane convinces Cho to like look into the case to like ease his conscience because Jane picks up on that. It's like heating him on the inside even though there's nothing that he's conveying. So. Yeah. Your flat featureless gaze is not you know, I, I, <laughs> yeah, it's like how do you read Cho? You can't. His eyes are more watery. <laughs> They're yeah. shining more so it means he's like I'm being more emotional. So yeah, so they go back to Oko and they talk to Cho's old gang members. Uh, Cho was called the Iceman. <laughs> Of course he was. Which Jane, you know, finds like fascinating. Yeah, he immediately um, understands it, but he's like, I want to know more, you know. <laughs> and they tell him that David left the gang, but he's working with, well, I thought he was working with some other gang member, but they said he's working with KS. Yeah. Which seems to be like he, or maybe he's, or KS has made a, a different gang by now, but I thought Chaos, KS was the other gang, but it's a guy. Yeah, it's a, yeah, um, it's a guy. And so they're suggesting that maybe he got killed because he was working with a different gang. And there's a list of numbers that they got from the crime scene that they that they don't that don't have any meaning yet. He just Jane keeps showing it to people. Which yeah. I, what is I'm not this? sure how Jane. I'm not sure how Jane got that. He must have stole that. If probably because <laughs> the Oakland police like bagged that up. <laughs> just Jane being Jane. Yeah, we find out that Chaos was a gang leader and Cho shot him. Yep. <laughs> Like not as a cop, when no, he was a gang banger. as a gangbanger, yeah, as an uh, Oakland Korean gangbanger, it's like, which might be a real thing. I don't know, but it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that whole area has a pretty large uh, Asian population, so that's. Well, again, I, I, I'm I'm very guilty of having a stereotype about Asians. Like all Asians to me are either experts at computers, mathematics, or some other like really insanely difficult skill, and I just never think of them as criminals. But it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah they can be. I just. Because even like Cho's uh, girlfriend was like, I was debating with the professor today because she's getting her doctorate in law or something. It's like, <laughs> yes, this is a stereo. This is what I think about. You know, <laughs> they talked to David's latest boss, who's like running a janitor business. Yeah, it's like ex-con janitor business. Yeah, because he says he likes hiring those. He doesn't mind hiring those guys because they need a second chance. And he sounds like a nice guy. It's like I'm just helping yeah, these yeah. guys. You know, which immediately should be your cue. It's like, oh, yeah. okay. Well, no, he seems sincere at that point. Then there's a part where, like, the middle manager boss walks by and tells him he needs to clean the bathroom and kind of, like, puts him down. But then Jane points out who that guy is. It's like, oh, you're just a middle manager who's going nowhere because you don't know how to actually, like, conduct business. Yeah. Uh, Jane, um, Jane, like, di yeah, psychologically dissects the guy <laughs> who's just saying, hey, we need more toilet paper in the house. It's like, you're saying that because you're insecure because your career is a failure. And the guy's kind of like, yeah. And because that guy is just like out of nowhere and even out of context in the scene other than like they're all going to an office building, you know, it's like, well, he's going to be involved later on. So. Mm -hmm. But no, I think that I guess what's more damning with him is when Jane shows him the list of numbers and letters, he's like, 
he's like no i don't know what that is when he's like oh he knows something about it <laughs> yeah because he stares at him the whole time like yeah i have no idea what that is and he's like <laughs> just looking at him like okay i need to memorize these right now <laughs> i thought they were like bank account numbers when i because when that guy was looking at him, he was like oh this has something to do with like like numbered bank accounts or something. I went to the wrong thing, yeah. but it's like, oh, these are like secret bank accounts or something. Uh, I mean, which it kind of is. I mean, it's access to secret bank. Well, accounts. yeah, yeah, but it, it's like I was thinking like uh, Swiss banks or something. You know, I thought it was gonna be some elaborate like bookie thing or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like it would Maybe come it... back to like Cho's street gang past of yeah of yeah. like yeah these guys were highly successful bookmakers and it's like yeah they needed to hide all this money in these offshore accounts and someone was screwing them out of it but it didn't it, yeah it was more banal than that but yeah you're always looking for like what's the real story in the mentalist well, that's what makes that the mentalist fun. on the miami vice episode there was that episode where like they were trying to kill the lady and her baby because she had like some papers with numbers on it because they're that was their bookie thing but yeah mask guys break into cho's apartment and say to say to stay out of the, the Playboy's business, the the Avon Park Playboys, and then they punch his girlfriend in the face like many times. Like they punch her head off almost. Well, there's like this. There's like this weird cut because it looks like he's like gonna put like the gun to like her back and pull the trigger, and it's like it looks like he's about to shoot her, but they just cut away. It's like wait, what happened? And they cut to her like on a gurney, and they're like, yeah, she just has some lacerations and punch in the face. She's gonna be okay, but. You know. But then we have like CBI shows up and they sit and then like Lisbon's like, yeah, we're officially taking over this case. So like we have <laughs> now all our bankrupt assets will be on it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jane, and those numbers you stole from the crime scene, it's now legitimate that you have those. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. He's like, there's no reason he should have them before that instance. Yeah. So he must have stole them. Uh, we also find that that like the reason like David was in jail for like 15 years because the gun show shot KS with he left the gang after he shot KS and they gave David the gun to like get rid of but then he kept it when he stole a car so when he got busted for stealing a car he's busted even more for having an illegal eye firearms on it, firearm on him so. that was used in a crime yeah it's yeah well I mean it's not a crime if it doesn't get reported right. <laughs> Uh, I don't know how he got you, the gunshot treated. Think, yeah, I guess chaos would have to have gone to a hospital. Unless they like uh, did some weird like put you know ginseng root on it or something like they have some system. Or or found some like uh, some uh, Korean doctor who's like into the bookies for a lot of money. It's like, we need you to do this. <laughs> Again, they're not bookies. They're just uh, they they don't describe their exact criminal activities. They're just some, drug uh, drug gang. Part. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess yeah. They do distribute coke. So generic drug. It doesn't. Yeah, they just seem to be like generally bad dudes. Yeah, yeah. They chose Robin. Uh, yeah, they're they're robbing houses. He was stealing cars and he's shooting people. Yeah. <laughs> so they're diversifying. They're trying to see what works. Yeah, you got to try different things. You always. What do they call that in industry? You got to pivot. Yeah, pivot. yeah. <laughs> always pivot. So Cho is on a revenge spree with Jane. Yeah. <laughs> now this kind of I, don't know, I feel like this kind of breaks the rules of of kind of of the show. Cause I remember that one episode where he had Rigsby, where he was like under the influence of being hypnotized, and like he punched a witness or somebody they're interrogating, and they're like they dragged him out of the room. It's like, whoa, whoa what are you doing? They're basically like ready to fire Rigsby for this, <laughs> and like all like everything that guy said is now inadmissible because he punched somebody during interrogation. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, this is like by the letter of the law. That's what's supposed to happen. <laughs> 
and usually like you know everyone in this episode will operate by the letter of the law and then they'll have like clever ways to like seem like they're gonna do like dangerous tv so show cop stuff and then like but actually it's a clever ruse no and, uh, cho ends up just beating up a lot of people yeah he sticks guns in people's them. faces and <laughs> um and but they also do do it they end up using even though he gets violent he ends up being clever with his violence uh which is you know good like that also seems like none of this stuff is gonna be admissible but yeah so I, I felt like it kind of betrayed the show in some ways but especially in the end where essentially cho is going to get away with it but they do do the the steps of showing like cho going to get in trouble and then how he gets out of it um because the person that's being aggrieved here is is a complete asshole and, and, and a criminal in other ways yeah, yeah. That could also lead to long prison sentences, but they're going to talk to the DA <laughs> and because uh, they want to go after the guy running the other the cleaning business. Yeah, we have uh, Riggs being found about go to some office. I guess they're what an equity firm. Yes, do you know what? An, I don't know what an equity firm does. I looked up a thing that just says like, I don't. Do you know what they it's do? Fund like, management just... essentially. Okay. Uh, yeah. it used to be equities were like like commodities and equities and tra- but now equities are also just investment packages yeah. so it's like it's a generic term it's okay, okay. it's it's investment and banking or no yeah, it's not it's, banking it's investment but yeah essentially it's a place where a lot of money runs through, yes so. yes it's just yeah, um, evil well, corporation seems, <laughs> yeah yeah well it seems immediately sketchy because of the ditzy assistant they're talking to where it's like and she's sniffling. She's like, oh, I have allergies. It's like, no, she's coked up. Yeah, she's she- coked out of her skull. <laughs> and she seems like a dumb blonde, or she's coked out of her skull, or both. But you yeah. know right away something's off. Like, uh, She's a coked up dumb blonde who's also trying to cover for her shitty boss. <laughs> yeah, is a guy who, like, is she only in the relationship for the coke? Because he doesn't seem like he's on coke. So it's like, what's she get out of this relationship besides abuse and cocaine? Maybe that's it. Yeah. I don't know. They say you'll do anything for cocaine once it gets its hooks <laughs> into you. But. Yeah, we meet the middle manager again, and he seems involved somehow. That guy and looks like actually... a creep. I'm sure he's a nice yeah. guy, but that actor just has asshole written all over him. It's like, yeah. okay, this guy's uh, he's found his niche in acting. <laughs> Cho roughs up KS and says he uh, he didn't, but KS says he didn't send the guys after Cho to go into his apartment because that's mostly like. When Cho is violent, it's only it's pretty much usually about like, all right, who hit my girlfriend? <laughs> it's a very focused violence. I do want to say something I noticed that was funny, and I don't know if this is in trivia or anywhere. I'm just making this up. But when they go to KS's gang house, Cho and uh, and Jane, uh, when they take KS into the other room, or when when uh, well, no, just Cho goes in at first. And then when they when he takes KS in the other room to interrogate him, well, there's four guys there. They're in an Asian gang. And as he's walking him in there, there's a pizza box with a set of nunchucks on it as they're walking <laughs> into the room, which is like, oh, it's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> reference of some kind. I mean, that or it's just something they threw on the set and I'm looking yeah. way too far into it. But yeah. I don't think I don't think that's uh that set designer was like casually racist. It's like we need to make this look a- more Asian. They're like throw some nunchucks in there. <laughs> nunchucks in a pizza box, and there's four you know, kind of sketchy Asian characters. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle reference. Okay. Yeah, but, uh, but yes, one of them has one of them. Yeah, I'm pretty, probably going to look back at it and probably one of them has like a purple bandana or something. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah something. check the scene. It's when Cho goes into the house <laughs> and 
confronts KS and his gang, and he's walking him into the kitchen to interrogate him. That's where it'll be. Uh, and if that's not deliberate, then I'm just <laughs> watching these shows way too closely. Achaeus reveals that Dave was looking to get sell drugs to the office because he was ordering too much just for personal use. He's like, oh, he wants to distribute and stuff like that. And so Cho is like, did, you know, did things go wrong because you tried to get it on and on or whatever? But so now they just know drugs are going to the office and that there's probably more something there than just with the gangs. And then, yeah, and then Jane gets involved and there's like a standoff. And then he kind of hypnotizes everybody and they walk out of there. Yeah, sort of weird. I mean, he doesn't like hypnotize them into like falling asleep. They just kind of like slowly put their guns down or slightly cooled about it. And they just kind of walk out. Like even, even Cho like puts his gun down slowly. So yeah, it gets, uh, gets fingers off triggers. Less <laughs> chance of an accident. Yeah. And then, you know, and then Jane just pops back in. He's like, oh, does he, do these numbers mean anything to you? And he's like, no. And everyone puts their guns back up because he's <laughs> like broke the spell. Yeah. <laughs> And then you have the assistant is do the assistant is doing drugs in the stall, and Van Pelt catches her, and it's a very weird kind of funny scene. Yeah, because <laughs> Van Pelt just like pokes her head over the stall, and it's like, "Hey, what you doing there? <laughs> drugs, huh? Got you some druggies? <laughs> doing a little druggy drugs for lunch? At least they um, at least they had Van Pelt do it, and not Rigsby. Yeah, like, yeah. Hey, what are you doing <laughs> over there? Hey, you want to flip this coin and see what happens? <laughs> Nothing creepy about this. And so they interview her, and she's like trying to hide things, but she's not good at it. Probably because she's on drugs and probably dumb to begin with. Yeah, it's yeah. And then she reveals that her boss, Adam Reed, likes to get high and beat her up and then have sex. Yeah, just like, oh, God, okay. The things people do for cocaine. Yeah. And then uh, Adam there, he caught David stealing a laptop, and so he made David get coke from his gang because he could. And then Crystal, like, slightly recognized the numbers from the list, but they don't, like, have her say it. She's like, oh, I, re- I know what those are, but then she doesn't, like, reveal. The, yeah, like, what are they? <laughs> Next scene. Now, yeah, the list is a, it's a list of passwords for the client's bank accounts, but I can't remember if that gets revealed there or later on because i thought it was later on yeah they go to they get adam reed who's like cutting up coke for some other lady that he's trying to probably get laid with and get high and beat on her and then have sex with her with cocaine yeah and uh yeah so cho roughs him up because he's like an established asshole it's like well it's out of line but he's right <laughs> yeah and then we also like have cuts to like the jander is also there, like the guy owns the jander business, and we're like, well, he has something to do with this. Yeah, he's not just here as a witness. Yeah. <laughs> and so I chose like beating up the guy like out outside next to the van, and like the whole time is like, okay, this is all totally ruse. This isn't some Jane ruse. And then there's a the part where he pulls out his gun, then he shoots it into the ground. It's like, oh, this is a ruse. <laughs> yeah. This is this is how it started. Yeah, this is. this seems like the most least likely successful ruse, but <laughs> um, well, you know it's a ruse too because that's not like Cho, like he's just just a maniac who's gonna start killing yeah. people, uh, no matter how I mean, much he's really you're... hitting that guy. Well, that guy's not in on it, so Cho's just taking the opportunity. Oh, Cho's scaring the hell out of him for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is it Rigsby and Jane that are there? Yeah, I think it's yeah, it's Rigsby and Jane. And Cho like locks it. He puts like a broom handle to lock the door so they can't get out. And so they get the janitor to undo it. And they're like, like, come, where do they go? Like, oh, come with us. We need it. So they want to make sure that the uh, the janitor guy is there when they when they basically 
so they can question him in a very very high tense situation yeah and so they yeah they go out to the genders van and like uh there's a bunch of what seems like blood all over mr reed who's just unconscious on the ground yeah begin is not in on this no yeah Cho Cho just knocked him unconscious and poured some red ink on him but then they start playing off it's like i was like oh like it's like oh no i shot him he didn't give me what i wanted and and then like jane's like and like jane's like he's the actor's doing a good job because he's he's jane but doing bad acting as jane yeah oh no you shot you can't do that cho (laughs) this isn't how the police do this and then like cho's like well we, we got it's like give me the keys to your van we need to hide the body so yeah they yeah so they're they're questioning frank and then they they found out he killed david and broke into the apartment because david was also because what what this guy does like he gets the ex-cons to steal passwords and stuff from these places that they're cleaning yeah um so that's his whole thing and he basically Um, will violate their parole if he doesn't do what if they don't do what he says yeah and so david was also trying to get out of that because like that was just another gang to him so he's just like like what a what a what a bad luck for that guy yeah (laughs) He's trying to do right, and he can't. Like, nothing will let him do anything right. A tale um, often told in California. Yeah. So, yeah, because he was going to quit. He thought because he was going to quit, he was going to, like, talk to the police. So he just shot him. So Yeah. <laughs> Which isn't necessarily satisfying in him, but it's a in it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it seemed like this guy, like, man, if he's, like, how long has this ruse been going on? Like, hire your next cons. It's like, he's got to be making, like, a ton of money from stealing all these passwords unless they just steal just enough to not get noticed. Yeah, it seems like this guy's definitely, like, Reed's definitely like, oh, he should have a stack of money somewhere. It's time to cut your losses. Because yeah. now there's, like, <laughs> corpses piling up. It's like, wait a minute, this is going to draw a lot of attention. It takes Jane to put it all together. Jane and Cho. But yeah, they, yeah, so he, he admits to the, the crimes, they confess to it, and then they co- we co- go back to CBI, and this were basically like, Cho's being confronted by Reed and his lawyer, and they're basically, it's like, well, they said something like this one in the last 30 minutes in court, and I'm like, it's like, you mean positively or negatively? I wasn't yeah. sure, but it's like, but we'll tie you up in personal cases for the rest of your life, and then they're like, about ready to leave, but then they're basically talking about how like he admitted to (laughs) like illegal, all these illegal things. And it's like, once you make a deal with the DA, so basically like Cho is able to uh, make it. So Cho is freely able to beat this guy up and not lose his job. Yeah. And not be sued into oblivion. And, you know, and they can try to prosecute this other guy who it's like, what is his lawyer going to (laughs) say? Like, (laughs) yeah. Cause this guy should also be going to jail, but he's not going to because a cop beat him up. So yeah. But then, uh, then the final is like Cho meets with uh, David's grandma, and Cho felt guilty because he didn't take the calls from David, who was asking for help in this situation. He just never took the calls. Yeah, um, I don't even think he listened to the voicemails if there were voicemails, because they didn't like reveal a voicemail or no. anything. And he he asked for forgiveness from the from the David's grandma, and she hugs him. So and he yeah, and they speak Korean to each other for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. So. Which was like, yeah, this is good. This was a Cho episode we've been hoping for. <laughs> yeah, no more about Cho. He, he was in a gang and he joined the army to get as far away from as he could and became a cop. And here we are. Yeah, he was in a real gang too, not just like your typical Asian math gang. So it was like <laughs> dangerous, you know. And yeah, he, and yeah, he was an ice cold person. He did a lot of bad things to, <laughs> to good and bad people. <laughs> yeah, mostly bad. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah. 
because KS was not a likable guy. And then for our third show, we have Miami Vice, season two, episode 14, Yankee Dollar. Original air date, January 10th, 1986, NBC Friday. When Crockett sees his stewardess girlfriend die from smuggling balloons of cocaine to the country, he and Tubbs go undercover to expose the ring. Toronto Michael Mann, written by Daniel Pine and John Mankiewicz, and directed by Aaron Lipstad. Yeah, this was one of those Miami Vice-like news item of the week type shows where they because i i heard like the genesis of this was like they had a problem with people muling in like pure cocaine and pure heroin uh and, and you know these balloons were busting and stuff and people were dying because by the way this this girlfriend that that uh, crockett has like this is the only episode we ever hear or see of her yeah uh so it's like oh this is interesting well yeah. we know anybody that enters the orbit the personal orbit of anybody in vice is not long for this world yeah yeah <laughs> But it's just so weird. It's like, yeah, your stewardess girlfriend died from a muling drugs and having one of the balloons burst, and she happened to be dating a vice cop. Well, all the pieces fall into place, but sometimes you have to do that. This was 80s I mean, TV. The, yeah, I mean, it's sudden, but also they have kind of the excuse because they say what her flight, her typical flight was, is like from Miami to like London to Paris, and it was like a loop like that. It's it like was okay, Miami, Bogota, gone. Paris, or something like that. It was oh, a okay, South yeah. American destination. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was a pretty big loop. It's like understandable if you want to see her. <laughs> She's gone for like, you know, five days or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I thought it was. Yeah, I don't know if like this is the first instance of like drug muling popping up in in, in media, but uh, probably it like is for, um, for mainstream like TV. Cause I know like, like, I don't know, like five years ago that like popped up again as like a big thing. Like it's happening over news stories and a lot of media it was, it was even like, that's what the, one of the latest Clint Eastwood movies is about. Yeah. Like the mule. mule. Yeah. yeah. Well, oh yeah. Yeah. It's just called mule. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. But he wasn't swallowing them. He was just, Oh, he wasn't. Okay. It was just an old white guy in a expensive pickup. It's like, well, yeah, come on. He can't be a problem. Let him back from Mexico. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 <laughs> We're going to use our racism against our Yeah, us. exactly what they were doing. <laughs> it starts off with Zeno and Spytech arguing about 101 Dalmatians. Yeah. And Spytech's like, no, it's like, you understand, this is about the fall of the nuclear family. <laughs> it's just funny. And then they're talking about other things, too. And then, like, uh, I missed out what Trudy and uh, Gina are talking about. But basically, all they're setting up is like, oh, things seem chill in the vice office at the moment. Yeah. And then Crockett calls up the airport for everybody leaves and Crockett calls up the airport for flight information. And he shows up the airport with flowers for a flight attendant, uh, Sarah, which but, but I don't think, I don't think we get that name Sarah for like, like cause I went back and rewind. It's like, Oh, is he just going to say her name? Like Sarah, like, cause she says sunny and he'd be like Sarah. And the interesting is like, okay, well, now we're in our name, but that doesn't happen until they talk about her after <laughs> they drive. He, he drives her home. Uh, cause she says she's not feeling great right now. Cause he's not, she doesn't want to go out to dinner. Uh, she was at a long flight. And so they drive home. And there's a funny thing. I'm not sure if you caught this, but in the overhead shot when they're in the driving scene, uh-huh. there's some cross traffic that like darts out and then they lock their brakes and the car spins. Oh, no, I missed that. I'm not going to watch that again. Nah. <laughs> so I don't know if this was like from another like episode and they just didn't use that scene or it was used differently or if like they didn't block off traffic and that was just a real car pulling out. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh no because it like has this like really like kind of like soft tone music over it and you wouldn't be looking for it but yeah look for it you'll see this car in the background it's like about the t-bone the ferrari and they're like <laughs> somebody didn't have the permit for the right street <laughs> yeah crockett takes her home and then she says she's unwell and so crockett leaves but then he like comes back to give her the flowers and you hear her start screaming and he like just breaks into the apartment. They bring her to the ER and then she dies in the ER because, yeah, she was a drug mule smuggling and one of the balloons popped in her stomach or whatever. And so she got like a like six grams of cocaine at once or something like that. I think that's, he said, like five to six is lethal. Yeah. She had like 30 or something. Yeah. Like. It was, and it was also like pure. It hadn't yeah. been stepped on. So yeah, Crockett also has like this cool and ridiculous white jacket that has like a bunch of just accoutrements on it and stuff and like silk lining in places. <laughs> it's probably the first time I've made notice of a like piece of, piece of clothing in here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they go to Sarah's apartment. Crockett and Tubbs go to Sarah's apartment and some guys are hanging around there. <laughs> so yeah, like one of them is like a bodybuilder and the other. Yeah. They just found some weird guys on the beaches. Like, hey, come here. You want to be on a TV show? You look weird and <laughs> yeah, you look like overly something bad. <laughs> muscular, and you look seedy. So let's yeah, get you two guys together. You're a team. The BMW selling guys. Yeah, yeah they pull guns on them, and they find out that sh- that they're just there to sell a BMW to Sarah. And so yeah, so they uh, and that ends up being true. So then they just have them go on their way. And they talk about like uh, that Sarah was apparently carrying a sample of Coke, yeah, for a potential bigger buy for for a big buyer because like the amount of Coke she had wasn't worth the five grand she got put in her bank account. But like if this was like some if it was some special thing, it's like oh she's bringing a sample in, so this is like the first time. So for some reason it costs more for some reason, yeah, um, or because it's going to be a one time thing and she is you know in an official position where she could sneak it in. And then another guy pulls up in a Corvette, and then Crockett and Tubbs chase him into the to, into the beach, into the ocean. Uh, and it's Tim Davis, her brother, which uh, I was like, I know this guy. And I looked him up, uh, Clayton Roner, and it doesn't really have anything big. But the only thing I remember from is there was this show on Sci-Fi Channel in like the late 90s called Good versus Evil, which they rebranded G versus E in like the second season. <laughs> huh. And it was canceled. But it was like a very stylish, uh, interesting show where it's like some cop who gets murdered and then is now employed by heaven to find demons on Earth. Okay. It's very, it almost seems like a weird 60s show, but it was done in the late 90s. Okay. But yeah, he was the star of that show. But yeah, he, he's the brother of Sarah, and he's only concerned about her body. Yeah, immediately <laughs> like Crockett and Tubbs were like, hey, we're sorry, you know, that's your sister. And he's like, oh where's her body and they're immediately like oh you you know <laughs> i think he punches him right there yeah he just knocks him out it's like yeah this is uh, the most obvious thing ever can i get uh, access to her intestines perhaps like what <laughs> and so it's tim points at mr glide who's some businessman who just stays away from the product and then so they they track him down and meet him at some parties having outside or something uh and glide knows sunny burnett you know the the cover yeah <laughs> yeah sunny makes a, a deal for some big buy uh but through glide actually like yeah the guy so like, i think this is ned eisenberg he's another character actor who's been in hundreds of things uh, interesting enough he's already been a character in yeah he body. plays and he, and he will be again i think it's all different characters yeah it's all different people but yeah he's uh because I, I think he's like in the the season 
one finale of the Lombard episode, I believe he's like the young mobster who like takes over the business and puts the hit out in Lombard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the other guy, that actor died earlier this year. Oh, okay. He's 65. Didn't say from what, so I'm assuming cancer or something. Uh, and the other like character actor update in this episode is Austin Pendleton. Uh, oh, yeah. Who, who, he, he's like a classic dorky character. He's in hundreds of things. He kind of looks like like a like a b movie harold ramus yeah yeah he's very familiar <laughs> if you've watched 80s 90s tv he's like oh this yeah. guy yeah 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 he's another one of those that guy guys nope. uh, he's like his he's like an, his, his assistant who seems to be on the edge max rogo <laughs> the spanish uh, jew the, <laughs> then they cut to the evidence room at the Miami Police Department, and it's just full of coke, cash, and rats. Yeah, this, this looks like no corruption possible here. <laughs> and they borrow the cash, or some, or I guess it's like um, hundred thousand dollars of it. Uh, but it's it's counterfeit money, and they borrow yeah. it unofficially because like the the guy who's like in charge of it is like, if that doesn't get back in two days, like you're in big trouble. Which I don't know why they just want to give it to him anyway. That. It just yeah, makes for I'm, a cool scene where you can show bags of flour and a bunch of fake money and like, oh, look yeah, at the you world. Can still, you can I don't know what the like the wrinkle is where it's like they can't take it officially in any capacity. It's like, don't they do this all the time? I don't know. That's the thing in my advice. There's always those moments where it's like they won't sign off on cash being used for certain things. So they have to acquire it in weird other ways. It just motivates the plot. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. And then Tim is trying to make a deal with Glide, which is like they let him out. Yeah, <laughs> and then just and then just Max shoots him and dumps the body. <laughs> yep. Well, because Glide's a complete sociopath. Yeah. yeah like you can tell, he has no. He doesn't think well. Because didn't they even say like he's his his heart's a cash register or something? Like <laughs> they had something that Tubbs said. Like yeah, this guy's well, got no soul at all. Well, there's this moment where he's like, they're making deals in the office, and they got like six different phones. And then Max is trying to keep up, but he's not doing a good job. And so, uh, like, Glide, his name's Charlie Glide, but I keep calling him Glide. But you can end it. But you call him Glide. Glide. It's fine. Um, it's not a real name, so it sounds cool. No one has a name <laughs> he, like that. He's smooth. You know, yes. Call him Glide. <laughs> where it seems like almost for a moment that Glide's gonna be like sympathetic. It's like, well, take some time off, and he's like. No, we'll just get somebody else to do this, <laughs> which doesn't help Max. It seems to like build whatever ulcer he's growing bigger. Yes, but here's like kind of a fun moment because they have like Glide picks up on he has some business meeting with Max, just like a diner, and they're just eating like lobster or something. And Glide picks up on that like things are too convenient, so like this must be cops. Yeah, like Glide's <laughs> pretty smart. Like he knows. <laughs> oh yeah, like it's almost yeah, it's almost reminding me of like um like the wire where it's like oh we're gonna spend we're gonna split the episode between like the criminals and the the cops and they're both figuring things out <laughs> so yeah, yeah i like that like you get to see like the criminal side and they're like putting things together it's like wait a minute that's what talking about the sugarman deal which i thought was gonna be like some weird that's what they called the whole coke business part <laughs> yeah that's that was strange it was like yeah the sugar man thing it's like Oh wow! Okay, he's like this is like the snowman and the you know it's, it's like what are we doing here? The Falcon and, and whoever else? It's like what is this? It's like uh, no, it's somebody's name. Oh okay, and they even have to explain that. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, here here at the business meeting, they call they call Coke Flake. Yeah, that's a new one on me. I've never heard that one. I think I've heard Flake before. Yeah, yeah. I've just always known it as Coke, Snow, or Kilos. Whenever you're talking about Kilos. 
That's why nowadays, because cocaine isn't as big when people talk about things in kilos, I'm always like, oh, are these guys doing coke? Oh, no, no, they're talking about measure weight. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Colombian booger sugar. Yeah. <laughs> per- Peruvian marching dust. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Glide, but like, yeah, they're, they're talking about like the, like, oh, we should get out of this. But then like Glide thinks he has a way he's going to be able to use Crockett as like a pawn somehow. Yeah. <laughs> so even though they know they're cops, they're like still going to use them. Yeah, they're going to triple cross cops, uh, Peruvian drug psychos who were like part of right wing murder militias in Peru. Like, yeah, we're going to mix this all together and somehow come on top. You you can tell this Charlie Glide, not only is he a sociopath, but he doesn't understand fear or self-preservation in any, <laughs> any meaningful way. There's a scene where Glide goes to the safe deposit box and he hands like 100 grand off to some business associate or something. And then we see uh, Zito and Switek kind of like going after to see like what happened. Yeah, Zito and Switek are in the background of all of this, but they don't really do anything. They're just kind of like observing and getting some evidence in the background. Yeah, they're they're mainly like seeing things. And then yeah, then we have a scene where they think it's going to be a deal, and then there's no money or coke, and then or they have the money but there's no coke, and then Glide's like, "Hey, you guys are cops." <laughs> yeah, because Glide says something like, "Yeah, I'll go buy some." tickets to the policeman's ball too and <laughs> and then he makes fun of uh tubbs accent he does a yeah. a pitch perfect like uh uh was that uh jamaican, jamaican accent he's like come on man i know this is all nonsense and or something like that it's yeah. like oh yeah he totally figured out they were cops which is cool because most of the criminals in this they make them seem kind of dumb whereas this guy's like yeah, i know what you're doing but i'm still going along for the ride because i'm gonna I'm a dangerous guy who's going to cross everyone and still live in Miami. Well, the only wrinkle I guess he didn't he didn't think of is like they tell him that the money they gave him was counterfeit. Yeah, so. the money he gave to his guy to deposit in his personal uh, business account is like, yeah, it's all counterfeit money. Hope you didn't give that to the bank because that's all federal. <laughs> uh, so then they bring him in to make a deal. Uh, this is where we learn about Sugarman Electronics, which. Um, we have Lydia, who's the young widow of the owner and creator of Sugarman Electronics. Uh, she's trying to do a leverage buyout, but she wants to triple her own personal wealth that she got from him dying. She because she got left fifteen million, but for the buyout, she needs you know like fifty million or whatever. So. Yeah, because Sugarman was like eighty years old, and she was like twenty five. Yeah, or something <laughs> as one of those kind of marriages. And then we have a meeting on the boat where it's like the principal party members of everybody. <laughs> including the peruvian drug dealer who's just Zabato, like who's out of his mind yeah he's just he's just chugging champagne and like messily eating all the seafood yeah he's like taking his hand and shoving caviar in his mouth and then it's running out of his mouth and he's laughing like ah, like he's a klingon or something like what who is this guy oh he's a peruvian militia psycho okay turned drug dealer and then they leave that meeting and then like like on the side, Max lets Lydia know that the cops are in on this, and so he changes something in the deal. Uh, and then we have Crockett and Tubbs take a different boat that's supposed to get the money and drugs at some point. Uh, they're just, I don't know, they're supposed to go get the money, I think. Yeah, and then there's like this boathouse with a with an automatic door on it, and the one guy that goes with the one drug gang guy goes with them, he can open up the door. But then as they start pulling it in, it starts automatically shutting down. And then, 
and Crockett and Tubbs magically pick up on like something's weird here. It's like you didn't put that down. They didn't put that down. They just jumped from the boat as the whole building explodes. Yeah, because there's a bomb on the chain return yeah. for the uh, for the garage door thing, which is basically a household garage door opener on the water. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that becomes a weird scene because the one guy, uh, Zabato, like the guy who gets killed that went with him, like that's his right hand man. Because he even says something to Glide, like yeah, he was with me, you know, during the revolution. He's Glide's like, yeah, sacrifice has got to be made. What can I tell you? And Zabato's like, yeah, okay, you know, this is completely terrible people. Now, I'm assuming the other guys in that thing were like Lydia's, because he tells her the same thing when he calls Lydia's. Is like, we need you to make a sacrifice, but we don't say what that is. Yeah. So I'm not sure if it's those guys or something else. And then Crockett and Tubbs go get like they find max and he's like starts running away because like oh no you're supposed to be dead you're not yeah um, he was like partying in this expensive restaurant with these two girls and crockett and uh, tub show up in damp clothes and just beat the hell out of him <laughs> and they, yeah they try to get more like stuff on what the deal's going on uh which i don't i well once we get to the end well i thought there might have been something weird where like he kind of betrays where, where max betrays them or betrays um glide in the scene but uh, i'm not yeah sure. he does he, just... he gives oh, he gives away the oh uh, what is it yeah he tells him where the deal's actually going down yeah he tells him that but like i don't know if like when at the end where he's getting charged for murder i didn't know if like max had something to do with that i'm assuming that. yes well, yeah, here's this gun i just say yeah, you know he killed he killed him because <laughs> it's because that makes sense like where you know max is like completely his anxiety is killing him and it's all through glide it's all because of glide so yeah, no know. honor among thieves i mean yeah yeah but yeah, so yeah crack and tubs just confiscates somebody's person's somebody's boat and then they go to the scene and then like lydia's just like handing out stacks of cash to like i don't know who it is because at the end of it she shoots she shoots uh zabato the the peruvian drug lord guy and nobody turns on her yeah <laughs> I guess because she handed him stacks of money. <laughs> yeah, I didn't quite understand that, except maybe they just needed to write it in. Well, she has to be like a son as a bad person, too. So, yeah, because it really didn't make sense. You think she just like bail like, oh, I'm, I'm out of here. And I actually don't know what happens to her because we don't see her. For no, like the rest of this. It's like it's this big elaborate shootout that just ends very, very quickly, abruptly. Well, it's and a silly like... shootout, too, because yeah. initially it's Crockett and Tubbs with pistols against like the Peruvian neo-Nazi drug gang with fully automatic weapons. And they're just banging away at each other. And then the police show up. And police show up too. Yeah, Yeah, but like later, like five minutes later. Well, I mean, the whole scene's like a minute. So, but yeah, it's kind of silly. It's like, oh, this looks cool. But tactically, this is a terrible decision. Well, because it's, it's like there's kind of like the final gunshot, and there's no like this moment to hold on. It's like as things settle, they just like cross evolve into like Glide's still alive, and this is where where uh, Castillo kind of and he's like, "Hey, you got everything you want. You got all the drugs. You got the money. It's like I'm working with you. I'm a businessman." And then, then Castillo pulls out like the murder weapon. He's like, "Is this yours?" It's like, "Yeah, it's registered and everything." He's like, "Well, this is a murder weapon of, of Tim Davis." Like, you're, it's like book him for murder one. It's like I didn't kill him. It's like, and the Crockettes are like, "Well, the system got to you eventually." So, <laughs> and you know, he didn't kill that guy. But <laughs> yeah, but you can't prove it when the gun's registered to you and you had a reason to have him killed just because somebody else did it. Doesn't mean yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a. Uh, a pretty decent episode yeah it was fine it was just it was uh 
uh, kind of like uh, they, they have some kind of monster of the week stuff on uh, Miami Vice where it's like, ah, this is what's going on in the real drug world, mules, and this is the <laughs> elaborate tale we're going to spin around it. At least no, that's I mean, what I read about it, you know. Yeah, well, I like this, like, I thought those guys were really good, the whole, like, the Max and Glide thing. Like, you could, like, I can mm-hmm. see, like, a whole season with just them being, like, the the opposing force to Miami Vice. Yep. And <laughs> Glide's there. house was Al Pacino's house and Scarface, too. I don't oh. know if, <laughs> if you noticed that. It's like, yeah, it's the same house. Uh, well, if you like what you heard, and how, how couldn't you? You can find us at anchor.fm slash Verhoeven Effect, or just go to VerhoevenEffect.com, take it to the same place. Uh, you can rate our podcast on whatever platform of your choice. You can rate us whatever you want, but the only thing they listen to is the highest rating. So remember, you control the algorithm. The algorithm doesn't control you. Uh, also, at VeroEffect.com, we have listener support where you can support the podcast on a monthly stipend of either $0.99, cents, $4.99, or $9.99. Uh, if you support the show, we'll just do more stuff faster. Yeah. Um, um, so we have we have giant lists of stuff we we'd like to do but uh we can only do it on, on a weekly basis um but if we had more yeah it doesn't matter you <laughs> hold the casual, key you yeah. hold the key how much more <laughs> of our faces and quips do you want to see because it's up to you we are just uh, literally yeah. along for the ride <laughs> uh we could uh you can find us at twitter at verhoven effect facebook at verhovenefect.com also find us on youtube uh, at american greed factory uh, you can watch both this this podcast and that podcast live and unedited uh, we also have t-shirts at blow slash greed factory and uh, recently i put bookmarks in the episode so if you have a podcast app that supports bookmarks uh, i they'll be separated for the the individual sections of the 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 of the different shows you run so for your connoisseurs of just one show, because we're covering yeah, yeah. three. Because I, I don't know how, I know there's podcasts out there that do it. I don't know how someone does a one-hour podcast about one episode. I know there's guys that do it. Uh, and sometimes it's like well, five guys that do it, it all at once. Well, it's like, okay. I mean, the reason we chose this format is because there are a lot of shows that do three episodes in like a one-hour format. Okay. And, uh, and I guess the only problem I see there is... Want everybody else to do it, so we're just doing something slightly different, just to be different. Uh, also, the other thing is like because you're covering the same show, a lot of times, like the three episodes will just kind of either merge into one, or one will only get attention over the others, and you don't really talk about. It. But because we have three different show, every episode really gets all the attention it deserves. <laughs> and that, my friend, is marketing. <laughs> So for the Bear Home Effect podcast, this is Conlon. This is Nathan. Goodbye, America. Goodbye, America.